Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I wanna say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome, everybody, to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas. I am your host. This podcast is presented by Pirelli Tires, Guts Racing, Plum Creek Funding, Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, and Fly Racing. We'll have a little bit more information on all of those fantastic sponsors later. But let's jump right into what we saw in Salt Lake City last night. It would have been May 7th. I'm back home in Boise. I got to fly home... um, on Saturday night after the race, very thankful for that. Pretty tired, but yeah, being able to get up and record this podcast and uh, talk about the race is certainly worth it. And I thought it was a pretty decent race, right? You know, a lot of the suspense had been kind of sucked out of the series. Jet Lawrence had wrapped up the East Coast. Eli Tomac had wrapped up the 450 Supercross Championship. And really the only, uh, you know, championship storyline we had left was this 250 West Series. And even with that, Christian Craig entered with an 18-point lead. So, you know, in the media, we could work as hard as we could to, you know, ramp up the, the hype and the suspense and the what-ifs and how could Hunter Lawrence snag this championship away from Christian Craig and all these things. But I think everybody knew that it would take some sort of chaos or catastrophic event for Christian Craig for, for him to not be champ. And, and we've seen it before, right? We saw Adam Cincerillo suffer that same fate uh, in Las Vegas a few years ago. But it's, it's very unlikely. It's, it would be the extreme outlier, in, in my opinion, because not only would Christian have to crash, which he did, he would have to basically DNF or have a horrific result. And also, you need Hunter to have a great result. So that it's like this checklist of things to go exactly right or exactly wrong depending on your perspective for it to work and some of them actually happened not all of them and you needed all of them that's that's the critical point you needed every single one of them not just a few right because christian did crash hunter did very well but christian was able to overcome the adversity he was able to keep his head and just kind of ride around also hunter didn't maximize his points he got second instead of first so he left three points on the table there so Again, you needed everything to go a certain way for Hunter to get this done. And you got some, but not all. And that's, that's you know, that's probability. That's why I, th- I think it was, uh, you know, almost not a foregone conclusion because I, I you know, it's, it's like Christian Craig said on the podium, it's, it's dirt bike racing and things can happen. Um, but I was not really that nervous for Christian. You know, he got through qualifying. He got through the heat race which I was, you know, once he won that heat race and I saw how 
kind of calmly he was riding, I wasn't that really that nervous for him. I really wasn't. I'm, I'm sure he and, uh, you know, his friends and family and Connor Fields and his wife and everybody, I'm sure they were much more nervous than I was, of course, because I don't have a vested interest in it. But objectively, I was like, yeah, he'll be fine. Just, just you know, keep your head. Don't do anything crazy and just ride, right? And that first lap, when Hunter's out front and Christian's, I think, second or third, second until Thrasher passed him, I thought it was the perfect scenario because Jet left, right? Jeff, uh, Jet hurt himself in practice with just a crazy-looking crash. I don't know if you guys probably all saw it on social media or the broadcast. His foot came off, his hand came off, and he's trying this triple in that nobody was really doing on the 250. It was just like the worst-case scenario for Jet there. Um, thankfully, he I think he's going to be okay. Sounds like a sprained ankle. I did see him uh, walking that night in the kind of the suites area. He was headed up to the Red Bull suite, I believe, with a walking boot on, but he was walking. He didn't have crutches on or anything. Wasn't using crutches, I should say. So I think he'll be fine. He'll probably take this week off, let that ankle heal, and then, yeah, start uh, or continue preparing for, uh, for outdoors, which I'm sure he's already been doing. So I wouldn't panic or anything like that for uh, Lucas or Promoter Cross. But again, not ideal. You know, he wasn't able to race. He wasn't able to help his brother. And he's probably not going to be able to ride for a little bit here. So could be worse, but certainly could be better too. But point being, um, you know, with, with Jet out of the race and you're looking at how that first lap's unfolding, Christian's got to be like, okay, I'm, I'm dialed here because... I don't have to worry about Hunter. I don't have to try to make a pass on him and open the door for him to just clean me out. I can just stay back here. And and I think it's a little bit counterintuitive because if you're Christian on one hand, you could be saying, well, I want to get the whole shot and then I can just try to check out. But you also have to worry about Hunter coming up from behind you and going for the kill shot there if he's behind you. If Hunter's in front of you, that is taken off the table. Yes, your short-term one-race result is going to be worse. I get it. But you also, you don't have to worry about that unknown of Hunter. You can see him right in front of you. And all you have to do is just stay behind him in that case. Then you have Nate Thrasher, who... Unbelievable ride from Thrasher. I have no idea where that came from. I don't have a way to explain it. I don't think it makes any sense. I don't get it. Like... What are you doing, Nathra? I mean, unbelievable, great job, but where has that been all year, right? It's like, that's what you're capable of. That's why you're on that team. And if this was Atlanta, okay, great. I, I understand you're, you're fantastic at Atlanta for whatever reason, but Salt Lake, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, I guess, right? There's no reason to question it, but it just does not make any sense to me. So I guess it's typical for the showdowns. We always get these outlier winners, so maybe... Maybe that's, it was just Nate Thrasher's time to work that, uh, the showdown magic because it just has always gone that way. Guys, you're not thinking about fine ways to win, win these showdowns. So kudos to Thrasher. But I, I think, you know, back to the Christian Craig perspective, you're like, okay, great. Thrasher can go up and deal with Hunter and maybe take some points away from Hunter, which he did. And that's even better. Now I have my teammate up here battling with my only concern of this race, and I can kind of watch them and manage that. Maybe he goes up and beats him, maybe not, but he's going to take Hunter's mind off of me. And now, if you're Christian, all you have to do is just just hang out. Don't blow it. 
And he, he almost did. He crashed, right? He slid out before the finish line. He was able to get up and kind of get it back together. But I just liked how it all played out for Christian. There wasn't a lot of chaos for him, which that's really your main concern is avoiding chaos. Just find ways to reduce the volatility and make sure everything is smooth and calm and no, no drastic movements, no drastic events. That, that's all you're trying to avoid. And other than that little tip over, I thought it kind of went perfectly to plan. I don't think there was really much chance of him going for the win because I think you would have to push on a track that was incredibly tricky. You just saw how many crashes there were and how many mistakes guys were making. It was tacky and muddy and then icy and dusty. And it was like every possible uh, track surface and level of moisture that you could find. It was really just really strange. And what happens for you know those of you who may not know, when the track gets hard, right? You saw that privateer race on Friday and uh, you know congratulations and, and awesome job by Steve Mathis for putting that together. But you saw how hard and dusty the track was on Friday it's really hard to bring it back from that. You know, once it dries out, you're in these uh, arid climates, high elevation, you can't really get the moisture back into it because the base has hardened. And unless you're going to go dig it all up, you can't get any moisture into that hard rock, hard surface. It's like asphalt at that point. And, and really all you're doing is just kind of adding moisture onto a hard surface. And that's why you see those really icy corners before the whoops coming out, you know, across the mechanics area where it just looks super shiny. It's because, you know, you're just adding water onto almost concrete. And uh, you know how slippery asphalt are or concrete or any type of polished surface is probably a better uh, comparison. It just turns super slippery. So weird track, weird dirt, weird weekend. But um, yeah, if you were watching on Friday, it was it was predictable to see how Saturday was going to shake out just based on how it looked on Friday. That's just how these things go. Once you lose that traction and once you lose the the softness and uh, the pliability of the dirt, it's gone for good. Like you just, you're not getting it back on, uh, on dirt like this. So anyway, um, I think the point being, and I kind of keep varying all over the place, but the point being for Christian to take huge risks on a track that was this unforgiving, I don't think would have been wise. And I, that's why I don't think a win was really in the cards for him because this track was going to demand risk. It was going to demand you to take a bunch of chances and be willing to push the edge of traction. And, and you saw mistakes from the guys up front. Even Jason Anderson, he had a few mistakes where I, I saw him almost crash a bunch of times. Um, Thrasher was no different. Hunter Lawrence was no different. And I think for Christian, he just he didn't need to do that. He didn't need to put himself at risk. So really, kind of why would you? Uh, on, the, on the other side of that, guys, I, I thought kind of underperformed. I didn't think that Forkner and Shimoda rode all that well. You know, Forkner's heat race, pretty good. Solid, past Oldenburg, you know. But I didn't see that flash from Forkner that I saw in Atlanta. And that's I, I thought you would see continuation from that ride. I thought he would... Con- keep getting better and you would see all of that pent-up aggression from Forkner. I, I just didn't see it on Saturday and maybe it was the track conditions. You know, it could have been just what I was saying about how slippery everything was and you couldn't really push like the way he would like to, like a track like Atlanta allowed you to. So maybe that was just it. Maybe he was just having to ride that to the conditions and where he felt comfortable without throwing it away. But I just left Saturday night, kind of feeling underwhelmed 
with both Forkner and Shimoda. You know, I, I thought both of them had a great opportunity to be on the podium. When, when you think about the way these guys were going to have to approach the race, you knew Craig wasn't going to really take risk. Um, I didn't know how Hunter would react, right? Then you take Jet out, right? Jet's out for the day. And all these things are like, man, why are, why are the Monster Energy Pro Circuit Kawasaki guys not on the podium? And that's just kind of where I ended up. I was like, man, they, they let one get away there. They, they left opportunity kind of on the table. It wasn't awful. It wasn't a, just a terrible you know, performance by those guys. I just felt like they underperformed. And I'm sure Mitch Payton probably wasn't thrilled. I'm sure he left there going, man, we could have done a lot better than that. Like not, again, plane didn't crash into the mountain. It just wasn't that great. I think they've come to expect more, especially after Atlanta and they saw what Forkner could do. I would, you know, I think that's, uh, I don't know why, why am I saying Atlanta? Foxborough, right? I, Forkner in practice wasn't crazy good in Atlanta. Main event wasn't good, but Foxborough was really the race where he broke out. I apologize for, for misspeaking there, but leaving Foxborough, I think everybody thought, okay, here we go. Forkner's back. And, and it wasn't bad. It just wasn't, it wasn't like reinforcing what we saw in Foxborough is, I guess, a good way to say it. 450 class, uh, I mean, what, do you, what else can you say about Jason Anderson other than he didn't win the title, but he did everything else. He wins seven races on the year, tying Eli Tomac for wins. That's incredible. That is a, just a huge statement season. Even if he didn't win the title, I think this is the best we've ever seen him. And it's, it's a tough comparison to make when you don't win the title to say he was better than a year that he did. But that's my opinion. I, I think if you raced, you wind up 2018 Jason Anderson versus 2022 Jason Anderson, I think this version this year wipes the floor with him. And I don't even feel like it would be that close. Um, really, the only things that held Anderson back this year were the crashes. And we talked about this, you know, that, that dynamic on this show and other shows. It wasn't about his lack of ability or performance it was just the outlier bad nights that he wasn't able to minimize the damage and you know all the greats have talked about it over the years that when it really comes down to it and you have this clash of the titans on the bad nights who was better and in this season that was clearly Eli Tomac and that's why he wrapped up this title with a weak despair and if you could argue if he didn't hurt his knee in Atlanta he would have wrapped it up pretty easily with two rounds to go. And that's just what happens when you crash and you jump off the track and you get in, you know, again, I've talked about it on the show before, you start stuff with Barsha and you do all these things, it catches up with you. There is a cumulative effect to making mistakes. And if you're racing someone who was damn near as perfect as Tomac was down, you know, especially in the middle of the season, Tomac was just lights out in the middle of the season and he just racked up all these points where, our, you know, Anderson was, was kind of floundering around. You think about his races at uh, Arlington and Daytona and these rounds where it, we didn't really realize how important it was. I think Daytona was telling, but he was just losing points and losing points. And then he gets on this big run and wins four in a row at the end. But by then the damage is done. And I kind of think about, for those of you who have been around a long time, I think about the 2003 season. And I may have talked about this on the show already, but I, so I apologize for circling back to it. But it, it's eerily similar to the 2003 season where Carmichael ends up being your champ, but Chad Reed wins six in a row to end the series. 
It didn't matter, though. All Ricky had to do was just ride around, and he did. I'm sure he was pissed off. I know he was pissed off because I was there. He didn't want to lose to Chad Reed. But at the same time, think about losing six races in a row and still being your champ. Like that's, That is a testament to how great you were at the beginning and the middle of the series that you can allow a six-race run by a guy and, you, and still not enough to become the champion. So that's, it just reminded me of how that went where Anderson wins the last four, but it doesn't matter. It's not enough because of the mistakes you made certain times of the season. Chase Sexton, great ride from him, right? He just didn't have enough to deal with Jason Anderson. And to be fair, no one else really did either. I don't know that Tomac would have had anything for Jason Anderson on a track like this. With conditions like this, this is where Jason Anderson thrives low traction environments, you have to ride the edge of the tire and you have to be really precise. Those are, that's what Anderson does. Like he's a New Mexico native and, and you could say Tomax, you know, he's from not far either, but their riding styles are incredibly different. Tomac is a high rever, really aggressive, just utilizing the clutch at all times where Anderson's lower in the RPM, more comfortable kind of, you know, letting momentum roll and riding, in a low, like, like I said, low traction, he's just very, very good at that. One of the best we've ever seen. Uh, Sexton's good at it too, um, but as you saw last night, just not quite as good as Anderson. And also there's a maturation process. You know, Jason Anderson is so much further along in his career and knows how to manage these main events where, you know, if you traded, place, traded places with these two and you gave Sexton a championship and a bunch, you know, let's say 50 more starts to his name, maybe Sexton would have something for Anderson in that situation. So kudos to both of those guys. Kudos to Sexton for keeping it on two wheels. He really needed to end this series strong, which he did, because think about all the, all the crashes he had. That you know He threw away a win, like a certain win at Minneapolis. That was purely his fault. The, uh, was it Detroit crash where he um, landed on Webb? That wasn't his fault at all, but man, what a heavy hit he took there. And it was just, it was just a season of mistakes for Sexton. There was also brilliance, don't get me wrong, uh, but it was a, a pretty volatile mix there and way too many crashes to be sustainable. And he, he did get a win or two in there, and he did have a lot of crashes. So it was, a, it was really a, a roller coaster year, lots of highs, lots of lows. And you know if he wants to be relevant championship-wise, he's going to have to smooth those out. And if that means some of the, the highs are not as high, that's okay. But the lows cannot be as low. That's absolutely true. And that's what Jason Anderson, you know, we just talked about that. But Sexton's were even more extreme, right? He's DNFing and crashing. And there's just all kinds of um, just horrible nights in there. And, and Anderson's nights weren't horrible as they just weren't quite good enough. Sexton's nights were horrible. There was just a bunch where he's laid out on the track and doesn't finish. You can't do that and expect to be there at the end of the series in the championship. So I'm sure he'll work on that. I'm sure he knows that and they're going to work on it. And everyone in his corner, you know, the American Honda guys and Trey Kennard and all these guys, his mentors will surely be in his ear about, we just got to, we got to remove some of the, uh, yeah, like I said, the volatility, like it's just got to be more even keel. Like if you're looking at a graph of your results throughout the season, you would want it to be pretty, uh, a straight line would be awesome, right? It's a, very high up in a straight line, that's ideal. That's McGrath-like. But you don't want it to be, 
just up, down, up, down. Like you just want it to be some sort of like almost barcoding a little bit. Barcoding's uh some of you may not know what that means, but just like very small variance, just you know, okay, second and then a fourth and then the win and then a third and then a second. Like that's that's how you get it done in this class. And it's easier said than done. I, I get it. It's a really difficult thing to do. But if you want to be champion, which I do believe Chase Sexton will end up being a champion, that's what it's gonna take, and that's what he's really gotta work on. Justin Barsha and oh boy, I mean this is Justin Barsha being Justin Barsha. And he he got booed for I mean, that was some of the most serious boos we've heard in a long time. Maybe since Dylan Ferrandis in Anaheim, I'm trying to think of another situation where there was this heavy of boos. It's been a long time. And I I think it's deserved, man. Like, you know, Barsha has been getting pissed off at media for asking him about making contact and, and being Bam Bam and all that stuff. Like, he he gets frustrated when people ask him about it, pretending like he doesn't have those questions coming. Well, I'm done with that. I don't want to hear any frustration anymore at the media asking you about it because this is why those moves that you just, you know, you just leveled on Mookie. Those are why people ask you about it. You want to know why people keep bringing it up? Well, here you go, man. That tone of being frustrated with the media for bringing it up. Get out of here with that. Like, Forget about it. And that's fine. You don't have to like it. You don't have to like me saying that, Justin Barsha. That's totally fine too. And I, it's not like I have a problem with it. He didn't do anything to me. But at the same time, you wonder why, and you, you wonder why people are bringing it up and you wonder why it's just, just you know, n- ongoing theme. This is why. Because you don't do it for a while and things calm down and then you're right back to it. And I understand you're racing for third in the championship and you're racing for a podium and there's a lot of money on the line. I I understand all those things too. But tell me this, why are you the one that's doing it more than everybody else? You don't see these other guys taking everybody else out. You don't see Sexton taking people out. You don't see Marvin taking anybody out. You don't see Webb taking anybody out. You don't see Mookie taking anybody out. Why are you the one that it always comes back to? And I will give him a little bit of credit. He owned it on the podium. He just said from day one, this has been me. This is how I race. Okay, no problem. I actually commend him for doing that. I give him credit for saying that. But at the same time, don't come back in a few weeks if somebody asks you about it and get frustrated with them. Because listen, if you're going to own it, then own it. Don't get mad at them for bringing it up. Because this is, if you're, this is going to be who you are from day one. That's your words. From day one, this is who you are then it's, it's going to be something that gets brought up anytime you do it. So, uh, like, I'm not here to condemn him. I don't care, right? It doesn't affect me. I'm just here to talk about it. The only thing that frustrates me about it is that he wants to play innocent and act like he is not, I don't even like using the word villain, but he, he wants to act like he doesn't pull these moves. Well, you do. That, again, your words. This is who you are, and this is who you've been from day one. So, I thought the boos were valid. I thought they were deserved. And if you're going to clean people out, especially if you're going to clean pe- you know, a rider out that's a, a crowd favorite like Mookie, good luck to you, sir. You are asking for the boos. You're asking for all of that. And you just sometimes you just have to live with it, man. It, it, happens, it happens to a lot of people, right? I think Dylan Ferrandis is a great rider, a great dude. I don't think he's overly dirty. He made a really bad choice when he hit Christian Craig 
and he paid the price for it. He, he turned a lot of people against him for a very long time. This is no different than Justin Barsha. I don't know how long this lasts for, right? It, it could be a one and done. People may not care. But again, you go hard on one of the most popular riders in the sport, prepare for the brunt of people's anger. You're just going to get it. And you don't have any room for error. It's no different to me than Vince Freezy. People have seen you take people out and ride aggressively and make contact a ton of, so many times. It's not like this is your first time and you get, you know, people are willing to forgive and forget because this is, was an out of character move. No, this was not an out of character move. This was something we've seen you do a hundred times and we're right back here again. And a lot of people are sick of it. Look at Bogle. Let's go back to San Diego, right? And he cleans out Bogle. Bogle obviously had enough of it. Let's go back to uh, Detroit. I don't know. I get Detroit and Indy confused. But where he takes out Jason Anderson. Another incident. And Barsha's like, what do you mean? I didn't do anything. Blah, blah, blah. Like, There's just this laundry list of incidents that you can point to where Barsha's knocking someone down. He knocks down the leader. He knocks down Bogle for no damn reason in San Diego. Like, do you think Bogle's going to be able to beat you the whole race? No. Justin Bogle's not in that place anymore, and he'll be the first one to admit it. But you decide to end him anyway. Like, you just end his race completely because you're frustrated, and that's how, that's who you are from day one, right? Quote, unquote. Well, guess what? People are sick of it. Like, (laughs) that's why Justin Bogle waited for you. And then knocked you down because people are over that move. They're really sick of it. And there are other guys too. Like I mentioned Vince Freezy, that same thing where people are just over it and you see the distaste for moves. And this has nothing to do with Vince Freezy. I shouldn't even bring him into this, but I'm just, it's just a comparison where when they do something, you see this piling on effect. And I know that Steve Mathis hates that, right? He wants you to judge this action in this specific uh, only in the moment. He doesn't want other, but that's not how this works. And that's when you see the piling on as people are like, well, you know what? I've been pissed off about all the other moves too. And you just brought all that anger back. Like you just reminded us all why we're, we're sick of that move. And you get a little bit more, maybe more than is deserved simply based on that one movement. But that's just how things go. That's how this works. So I'm not a guy that's going to boo, like, I whatever. I just shook my head. But I also expect it from Barsha. I know that's who he is. I know that's what he does. So, I mean, if you're Mookie, like, yeah, I would have been raging pissed. Super mad. But again, you almost have to just be like, yeah, that's, that's what Barsha does. That's who he is. And I only get angry when he tries to pretend he's not that person. I only, I only dislike it when he tries to be like, no, I don't do that anymore. I ride clean now. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because here's more proof. And let's go back to Indy. There was more proof. Or where were we? Detroit? I don't know. Whatever race that was, there's more proof there. And let's go back to San Diego. There's more proof there. And let's go to Anaheim 1 when you took out Jason Anderson. There's more proof there. So, like, he took out Anderson twice this year. So, get out of here with all the, you know, I don't, I'm not that guy. I'm much more happy with you saying I am that guy on the podium in Salt Lake. So, on that front... Good for you. Way to, just, way to just soak it up. Say, bring on the booze. This is who I am. I, I would much, much prefer that. All right, moving on. We're done with that. Uh, Mookie, I kind of talked about 
he rode incredibly well, man. Uh, what a charge after, you know, he had to just be seeing red. I mean, he had to be just burning up inside wanting to catch Barsha after that move. And I, that was an incredibly strong ride and it got him third in the championship, which make no mistake, got him a ton of money. Like that made him, I, I don't know. I don't know how his bonuses are structured, but tens of thousands of dollars, if not six figures for getting third in the championship. That, that pays very, very well. He could have even had insurance policies on himself. And there, there's a lot of possibilities there for him to make a lot of money with third in the championship. So good for him. I'm happy to see it work out from him for him in the end. Overcoming adversity, overcoming Justin Barsha's best efforts to derail him. And uh, yeah, so good for him. Uh, Marvin and Webb, kind of an underrated battle. You know, the, the storyline was Anderson and Bart, you know, obviously Mookie, the, the cameras were locked onto him, but Webb and, and Marvin had a huge battle. And Marvin actually got really aggressive with him, made contact with him, but that was out of frustration. Uh, that was simply because he, he was sick of being behind Webb. And Webb is so smart in those cat and mouse games. And he, he almost forced Marvin's hand to get aggressive. Because if you don't go in and kind of bump Webb out of the way, he won't move. Like he is really steadfast in his racecraft, and he won't put himself in a place to get knocked down, but he also won't give you an inch. And I think he knows when he's dealing with Marvin that A, it's his teammate, and B, Marvin's not overly aggressive most of the time. We've seen him go and take, you know, go for the kill and take people out, but I don't think Marvin is prone to do that with a teammate. And I think Webb was kind of taking advantage of that a little bit. And I've done it, right? If I know I'm battling with a teammate, I assume that they're not going to clean me out. So instead of giving more quarter to them, I will kind of take, if I'm ahead, I will kind of take the line that makes you vulnerable. It leaves the door open, but you're also assuming that your teammate's not going to just T-bone you, right? And, and that's a can be a dangerous assumption. We've seen that not always work. Um, but I think that's kind of what was happening is Webb's like, surely he won't take me out. So I'm going to take the good line here. It does leave me a bit exposed. And if it was Jason Anderson or Barsha or anybody else behind me, I wouldn't take this line. But with, with Marvin there, I feel a little bit more comfortable. And I think Marvin got tired of that because Marvin's assessing that too. He's like, man, I, I have the angle here and Webb's not respecting my potential to knock him down. Like I could clean his clock here and, and he's not respecting that. So I think Marvin had to get in and bump him a little bit to show him like, hey, man, I got to go. I got to get around you here. And I'm not going to clean you out, but I'm also not going to give you the good line everywhere when you don't have really the right to it. Like it's all geometry and they're all feeling each other out. And when you see a rider on the inside and he has the preferred angle and the guy on the outside just dives to the inside, like when you're the guy on the inside, you're like, man, you can't do that because I'm checking up hard here to not hit you. And one of these times, if you keep doing that to me, you keep sawing off my front end and making me chop the throttle and, and break hard when I have the preferred inside, I'm just going to have to bump you one time. And you saw that happen just before the mechanics area. Mar finally went in there and just kind of made contact, made the move stick and, and kind of was, uh, I don't want to say off to the races after that because Webb stayed on his rear wheel, but that was the decisive decisive move for, for Marvin there. And I think it, he was getting frustrated. He could see the guys in front of him riding away. And I don't think he wanted to make contact, but I think he felt like he kind of had to. Otherwise, Webb was just going to stay in front of him and, and hold him off. Uh, J Justin Brayton, 
you know, we, we had uh, our fly racing show in the pits, and we, we gave them some really cool items. We had Western Power Sports sign uh, this helmet. You know, everybody that was kind of in the building signed this helmet for them, and we made a video tribute for them. And obviously, Feld did a great job inside the stadium and on TV and all these things to celebrate this tremendous career for Justin Brayton and, and all of the accolades and all of the the memories and commemoration, all that he deserves all of it. I mean, he's been around forever. He's a race winner. He had like 130 top tens or something like that. It's just an insane number. Like that's crazy to even think about. I had 131 main event starts, I think. And I missed a bunch of main events too. I raced a lot more than that. But to think about all of my main events that I ever raced in the 450 class to be inside the top 10, that's wild. That's a lot of top tens. Uh, because I just think about how many main events I was actually in and to be in the top 10 that many times over the course. I mean, he had 190 starts. That's, that's lunacy. Um, that's just so much racing. And, you know, he's getting to leave on his own terms and call his own shots. And I kind of chuckle with this because I don't think it's, it's not done, right? It's not like we're going to never see Justin Brayton race again. He's going to race World Supercross. He's gonna, I think there's a lot of racing in his future. I think he'll race these one-off events like Paris and Australia. There's so much money for him to be made. I can't imagine that he's just going to call it a day. I'm actually really sure he's not going to call it a day because he's not going to leave that much money on the table. He loves racing. He loves this stuff. I just think the, the full commitment, the day-in and day-out grind of training and practicing and riding and, and sacrificing all of your time and effort when you've got three kids at home and a wife who would love to have you around more. I think that's where he's drawing the line. I think to go train for 60 or 90 days to get ready for, you know, four or five, six, seven races where he can make, I don't know, 200 grand, that's worth it. And that's what I think he will continue to do for this year, next year, whatever, as long as he can continue to make that kind of money and stay healthy. So um, it's, it's a little bit of a misnomer. It is fair that he's done with monster energy, supercross. That's all true. But as far as him just riding off into the sunset now, and, ne- and we don't hear anything about him racing anymore. I don't believe that to be the case. I think we'll, uh, I think we'll see more great performances from Justin Brayton, maybe just on uh, a different continent. I did want to make notes on, uh, Justin Starling and Ryan Brees ninth and 10th. That was crazy good. They finally beat Chiz. That was pretty awesome. They beat Justin Bogle. That's saying something. Um, I mean, just a great final race to a great season for both of them. Uh, that, that was good, man. That's better than I would have ever thought they would do in this class. That's just being honest. Credit to them. Uh, credit to their improvement and their tenacity. And just they're continuing to get better and better. And you could see it. I, I was watching them in the main event. And they were closing in. Like There was this big group. And they emerged... At, they kind of separated themselves and emerged out of that group. It was Chiz, it was Bogle, it was Hartraft. Great job from Hartraft. He was ahead of them. He got eighth. But, you know, starting at Brees, they could have dropped back. Troll was in that, you know, Alex Martin was in that group. Um, there was just this whole gaggle of them, Benny Bloss, and those two, Hartraft ahead of them, those two rode out of the group. They went forward. Alex Martin went backwards, Clayson DNF. All these guys weren't able to do it, and they got it done. So I, just, I thought they deserved credit. I thought, thought they deserved a mention because uh, they did a really good job. So as we look toward to outdoors 
you know, we have two weekends off. I will be going to Spain this coming weekend, which just eye roll for me as far as my time and burnout factor. But I'm going to go test that Stark Varge bike in uh, Barcelona. I am, I am looking forward to that. Um, I just would very much prefer to be home next weekend. Um, but you know, outdoors, we get two weekends off and then we go to Lucas Oil Pro Motocross and I will be thankfully be doing the pit reporting for, uh, you know, the opener at, uh, at Paula. And my question for that is, I don't, I don't know the answer to this. I don't even know if I have a strong opinion yet. Maybe I'll, I'll formulate one, but do these guys, Dylan Ferrandez, Ken Rocks, and these guys, do they get an advantage here? You know, are they going to be the odds on favorite to win, especially these early rounds. You think about Paul, you think about Hangtown because their, their minds and hearts and effort have been on the outdoor championship and not Supercross, right? And Ferrandis, I think, especially, I, I say yes. Um, I'm kind of already there on Ferrandis. He's been motoring down, preparing for, for this, you know, to defend his Lucas Oil Promotocross championship. Roxon's been getting in the groove too, so maybe I should be coming around on Roxon. Don't forget how great he was at the beginning of this series last year. He was just on fire, and he knows how to ride these California tracks incredibly well. So it wouldn't shock me at all to see Roxon come into the season like a house on fire. I'm more wondering, how do we see Anderson? How do we see Tomac? How do we see Sexton? I don't know. <clears throat> I don't. I, I could see them being great. I could see them maybe taking a minute to get up to speed, right? Because I think Anderson's focus has been on supercross and why wouldn't it be he's been making like 150 grand a week if somebody could tell you hey man stay the course think about you know continue what you're doing you can make $150,000 every Saturday I do anything you tell me I'll focus on anything you want I'll focus on butterflies outside I'll focus on uh, reindeer and and the North Pole I don't care what you tell me to focus on if you're going to pay me 150 grand a week I'll keep doing that and whatever I am sacrificing three or four or five, six weeks from now, so be it. I don't care. I'll worry about that then. But the fame, the accolades, the legacy, the 150 grand a week, all those things for Anderson, good for him. That's what I would have been doing too. I would have made the same exact decision. Now he can, he can shift all of that, right? And, and make no mistake, these guys, they'll be riding outdoors on Monday. Sexton, I don't know about Anderson. Maybe he takes a couple days off. He's, he's been on a, a roll here and he probably deserves it. But all these other guys, they will be riding outdoors and testing on Monday morning, right? They're flying home today, and they'll be at the track on Monday. It's go time for, uh, for outdoor prep. So there is no, uh, you know, there, there are weekends off. That's true. But the preparation time, they got to make the most of it because everybody's, you know, their thoughts and their, you know, for a guy like Sexton who the Supercross season didn't shake out the way he wanted, it's his opportunity now to reset, right? He goes into Paula and no one has a big points lead. He hasn't DNF'd a race yet. He hasn't crashed in an outdoor race yet, right? He, he can right all of those wrongs. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a really important time and it's a breath of fresh air. As much as everybody's burnt out and tired and I get all that, the opportunity to reset the points back to zero is really enticing for a lot of these guys. Like Anderson, right? He's, he's feeling right now that he left the championship on the table. Make no mistake about it. He's happy. He's rich. Like, he probably made a million dollars just in bonus money this season. And he was already rich coming in. You know, fair, fair point. But he's made a lot of money. But 
I would almost guarantee you he felt like he left a championship on the table in 2022. Well, he's going to get his chance to go after one. And you could say that, you know, he's not as good outdoors and all that. And I would probably agree. It's going to be a lot more difficult. But the role he's on right now, he wants to win. Like winning is, winning feels comfortable to him right now. Let's go back two years ago to Loretta's where Anderson just rips off the opening series moto win of the year out of nowhere. Maybe he does that again. Maybe he just keeps the ball rolling because you know his confidence is at an all-time high. He doesn't feel like anybody out there can beat him. Like he, I'm sure he knows Fernandez to be good. I'm sure he knows Tomac can, can do Tomac-type things. But he's also riding this high where when the gate drops, he expects to win. And I don't think that just goes away in a couple weeks. There are a lot of unknowns. Everybody's going to be feeling each other out you know, going into uh, to Paula, um, but his, his confidence, I don't think will be, uh, will be very shaken right now. So interesting times. We get to reset. We get to go outdoors. I get to uh, change my role a little bit and go into this TV thing. Um, as I'm going to be doing some GPs in Europe too. They're racing in Majora, Italy today. Um, that series is really, the 450 or MXGP class is, man, Prado goes out. I mean, this is obviously Tim Geiser's championship to lose. Um, I'm so excited to go over there. I will, I'll be going back to Germany, uh, second week of June. So I'm excited to do that. I'm excited to go to Berlin. I love that city. Um, but man, the, the air has just been sucked out of, uh, the MXGP championship. So F1 here in a few minutes, I'm excited to, they're in Miami. My buddies are all down there. I'm excited to watch that. Um, again, thank you to all the sponsors of this podcast. I could not thank them enough. They have been here from this day one. Pirelli Tires, uh, Plum Creek Funding, Guts Racing, Works Connection, Pro Glow Wash, Fast Foundry. I got to see Robert Carrico yesterday at Salt Lake. Uh, Grant Stone Boots and Fly Racing. Thank you to all of them. Uh, we'll probably do some questions uh, in the coming weeks. So we'll do the Pro Glow question of the week uh, next weekend. I will be doing this show from Barcelona. So if you want to send those questions in, I, I can definitely use some. You can email them to me, jason36 at aol.com. You can DM them to my Instagram, uh, Jason66Thomas, and I always check those as well. Uh, but please send questions in, and I'll, I'll just do a Q&A episode uh, in the coming weeks here, probably next Sunday. So please send the questions. I'll try to uh, think of some myself too. Thank you to everybody for listening. If you are going to uh, make a purchase from companies like Works Connection, companies like ProGlow, there are promo codes. You can reach out to me for those. Uh, the uh, Works Connection one is JT21. The Pro Glow promo code is Moto15. And uh, if you have other questions on other companies, I can try to help out as much as I can uh, there as well. So thanks everybody for listening. And yeah, we'll talk to you in a week.